Good morning. The season of Advent, uh, we're going to turn in our Bibles to the book of Ruth. So why don't you go ahead and turn there this morning, Ruth chapter 2. We're going to continue this brief series through the month of December in this awesome, awesome book of Ruth this morning. So Ruth chapter 2, if you need a copy of God's Word, there's one in front of you there in the seat pocket. You can follow along this morning. Uh, I want to remind you, the Bible that you hold in your hands is one book, but it's made up of 66 smaller books. Uh, It was written over a period of not by one author, but 35 authors over a period of 1,400 years. Three different languages, three different continents, but yet this book that expands over so much time, covers so much material, you need to know is ultimately one story. It's the story of God revealing himself. It's the story of God making himself known to us. And that culminates ultimately in God becoming a man and walking among us. Jesus, hence Advent and Christmas as we celebrate God making himself known. But leading up to that, throughout this great book, God is making himself known. Now, the book of Ruth that we're going to look at and that we've been looking at is a glorious picture of this God of the Bible making himself known, revealing himself to us. We saw last week that one of the themes of the book of Ruth is this theme of hope. We saw from Ruth chapter 1 last week that there's this story that God provides hope to those who are absolutely hopeless. And aren't we glad of that? We also see this morning we're going to chase another theme that we find in the book of Ruth. And it's this theme. And it's the theme of redemption. There's a beautiful picture of redemption nestled down in the pages of Scripture here in the book of Ruth. Now, the word redeem, that's kind of a churchy word. We use that a lot. Let me give you a definition of the word redeem this morning. It's this. Redeem means to pay the necessary price for someone's freedom, someone's debt, or to cover someone's past mistakes. To redeem is to purchase someone's freedom, pay their debt, cover their past mistakes, you paying the price or someone paying the price for another. That's redemption. There's a glorious picture of that in Ruth. So this morning in Ruth, we're going to chase two things. I'm going to go ahead and set the stage for you. We're going to look at the life of one redeemed, that's going to be Ruth, and then we're going to see a portrait of our Redeemer and a fellow named Boaz down in the pages of this incredible story of Ruth, all right? So if you weren't here last week, you may not be familiar with the book of Ruth, let me set that up for you really quick. Uh, There was a Jewish family at the beginning of chapter 1 of Ruth. There was a man named Elimelech and his wife named Naomi. They had two sons, remember their boys, Malon and Chilion, you remember that, there was Puny and Piney, that were their nicknames. They named one boy Peewee, and nobody's going to name their son Malon after Ruth chapter 1. I get that. And they lived in the land of Judah. Judah, Israel, same thing. They're from Bethlehem. There was a famine in the land, so Elimelech picks up his family. He travels to the land of Moab. Moab's on the other side of the Dead Sea in hopes that he could find food for his family there in a time of famine. When they get to the land of Moab, You remember from last week, the Moabite people, the land of Moab, enemies of Judah, enemies of Israel, cursed people because of their sinfulness. He travels into the land of Moab. When they arrive there, Elimelech, the dad, 
dies. It's a tough situation. Then the two sons, Malon and Chilion, they marry two Moabite women. The two Moabite women, you remember, were Orpah and Ruth. And then after a while, the two boys die. Malon dies. Chilion dies. And here, what you have left is a woman named Naomi, a Jewish woman with her two daughter-in-laws, Moabite, Gentile, which means non-Jew, daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah. So Naomi, the mother-in-law, decides it's time. She had heard that the famine was over. She says, I need to get out of the land of Moab. I need to travel back to Judah, back to Bethlehem, where they're from. The end of chapter 1, that's what you see. Naomi is traveling back with Ruth, her daughter-in-law. The other daughter-in-law, if you remember, Orpah said, no, no, no. I I can't go there. The price is too great. I'm going to go back to the land of Moab. So we come to an end of chapter 1 last week, and if you remember, Naomi and Ruth, they arrive in Bethlehem, they arrive back home in Judah. Now, a couple things you need to know is when you get there, Ruth, the Moabite who was cursed because of the Moabite people, cursed because of her sin, in a sense was hopeless, has found hope in the God of Israel. Naomi, evidently through her influence, has been able to lead her to faith in the God of Israel. And Naomi, Ruth, makes that great profession. We read it last week. Ruth says, where you will go, Naomi, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people are going to be my people, and your God will be my God. So as you get to the beginning of chapter 2 of Ruth, you have these two women. One is a relatively new follower in the God of Israel. One is a Jewish woman, Naomi. The other is a Gentile Moabite girl, Ruth. And they get to chapter 2, they come to Judah, and they simply, you got to know this, they don't know what their future is going to hold. Especially Ruth. Ruth is a foreigner in the land Naomi had already told her, I don't know if you're ever going to find a husband here. I don't know how this is going to turn out for you here. In those days, one of the most desperate situations you could be in was to be a widow. Here you have two widows. Their sons are dead. They have no husband. They don't know how they're going to live. They don't know how they're going to make their provision for life. That's how chapter 2 begins. Looks like a pretty hopeless situation, if you will. Now, I'm going to read several verses. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're really only going to cover about 14 verses this morning. So follow with me, verse 1, chapter 2. Now, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. A beautiful story here. The story, chapter 2, begins by Naomi recognizing that Her dead husband, Elimelech, she remembers he has a relative. It was a distant relative, but his name was a man named Boaz. Now, that's very important in that day to understand. Because in this day, in the land of Israel, Judah, same thing, something was very important. Much attention was given to the care of the vulnerable. Much attention was written even in God's word and God's law. There was much attention given to how the people of Israel would care for widows, how they would care for orphans, how they would care for the poor. <laughs> Naomi and Ruth qualify for all three. You've got a widow, you've got an orphan, you've got a poor. They don't know how they're going to provide for themselves. 
So there's something that's practiced in the land of Israel. And if you don't get this, you're not going to understand the book of Ruth. We don't get this in our culture, but it was very much present in the culture of Israel. There was something that was prescribed in Scripture called the kinsman redeemer. Now the kinsman redeemer worked basically like this. So try to follow along. I'm going to do my best to explain this. It worked like this. If I, as the husband, if I die, I pass away, my wife is then left without a husband. Maybe there's no children in the family. There's no sons in the family. So my wife would be in a very vulnerable situation. Then there's a responsibility that would go to care for my wife now that I'm dead to make sure she's protected, make sure she's provided for, make sure the name continues on. And that responsibility would primarily fall to my nearest unmarried male relative, the kinsman, a close relative who in the nation of Israel would say, okay, it's your responsibility to take that widow into your family. If you're unmarried, you can marry her. Then you can provide for her. Make sure the land doesn't leave the family. Make sure the family name continues on because there's no male to carry on the family name. That dynamic in Israel was called the kinsman redeemer. Very important. Get that? Now, there was another thing that was set up in the, in the nation of Israel to provide and to care for those that were vulnerable. You hit this right away in Ruth chapter 2, verse 2. And here's what that was called. It was called the law of gleaning. The law of gleaning is very important. It was laid out in the law in the book of Leviticus. Here's what it says. Follow with me. Leviticus 23, verse 22 says this. When you, speaking to farmers... Especially during the time of harvest. They said, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Gleanings were the stalks. When wheat was harvested, there were stalks that was left on the ground. That was called the gleanings. That's what was left over. He said, you shall leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. Now, don't just blow right past that. That's beautiful. Buried back in the law of God that God had planned a way to care for the vulnerable. He said, listen, if you're a farmer, when you, when you harvest your fields, leave some in the corners and leave some on the edges. Beautiful. Woven into the very fabric of Israel and the law was a way to care for those that were vulnerable. Those that were poor, those that were widow. And that was called gleaning. Somehow, someway, Ruth caught wind of that. And when they get to Judah, they arrive, if you remember, at the end of chapter 1, it's harvest time. It's the barley harvest. So that's where we pick up in verse 2. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, her mother-in-law, Please let me go to the field, and here it is, and glean. In other words, I know what the law of God says. There's going to be some farmers that have left some extra around the edge of their field we have no way to provide for ourselves we have no income we have no savings we have no 401k we have nothing maybe we can find some food around the edges of the field and that's exactly what happens she goes and gleans among the ears of the grain and she says let me go glean after one in whose sight I may find favor Naomi her mother-in-law says to her go my daughter so she departed And she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. I love this. And she happened 
just so happened. That's God language for God's going to work this out supernaturally. And it says, and she just so happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to, you guessed it, Boaz. God begins putting the pieces together. Now hang with me. Who was of the family of Elimelech? We just read that. He was a relative of Naomi's dead husband. That's important. Verse 4 says, now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And said to the reapers, the workers in the field, he said, may the Lord be with you. And they said to him, may the Lord bless you. You say, why in the world is that there? It's there because if you were a Jew and you read verse 4, you would go, well, that is odd. You know why? Because Boaz is a rich aristocratic landowner. He's a dignified Jewish gentleman. He's a man of great influence. Everyone knows who Boaz is. And in that day, you in that position, you didn't mingle with the commoners in the field who were doing the work. Remember that. So Boaz comes and he lives, he dwells, he spends time even among those that are serving him. Remember that. Verse 5, then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? There's somebody new gleaning in my field. Who is this? And they said, well, the servant in charge of the reapers said, she's the young Moabite woman. Haven't you heard? Words all over town. When Naomi came back in town, she had this girl with her, this Moabite, her daughter-in-law. Her name was Ruth. That's the girl that's gleaning in your field. Verse 7, she said, here's what Ruth had said. She said, she came and asked us, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among your sheaves. Thus she has, been, she has remained from morning until now. Boaz, this girl's been here from the morning and she's still gleaning. You know what that means? This girl's working hard. Talk about that in just a minute. Then Boaz says to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter, do not glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Verse 9. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I've commanded my servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. In other words, here's this Moabite girl who knows she deserves nothing, being approached by the very wealthy, very influential Jewish older gentleman. And he says, don't worry about it. We're going to take care of you. Says you get thirsty, there's going to be plenty to drink. I've instructed my workers to take care of you. Verse 10, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why in the world have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? We'll stop right there for now. That's beautiful. Now, If I can just be painfully honest with you here, I feel a great tension because there's more here than I have time to cover. <laughs> I hope you take time to read the incredible second chapter of Ruth on your own. But what you have here is you first have a picture in Ruth of a girl who is now following the Lord. She's learning to follow this God of Israel. And like many of you in this room, here's, what, here's the situation Ruth finds herself in at the beginning of chapter 2. How many of you in this room right now, if you were really honest, you would say, there are multiple things, and you don't have to raise your hand, but there are multiple things in my life, in my future, a month from now, a year from now, five years from now, that are simply uncertain for me, and I don't know how God's going to work it out. 
I don't know where I'm going to work. I don't know who I'm going to marry. I don't know where I'm going to live. I'm trying to follow God, but i got to be so honest. I'm so wrapped up in the future, and I'm worked up in all this anxiety and fear about the future. As you begin Ruth chapter 2, here is a young girl that is now following the Lord her God, but she has no idea what her future holds. No idea. It's no different than you and I being in the position of saying, okay, I'm learning some things about walking with God, but I simply don't know what is God's will for my life moving forward in the future. And here's what you see in Ruth, and I want you to just narrow in on this. You see a picture of a girl who has no idea what her future holds, but she is learning to walk daily, trusting God for today, and she's going to trust God for the unknowns of tomorrow. Ruth is a picture of that. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Everybody in the room probably knows it. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you had it memorized. says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And here's the promise. He will direct your paths. Do we really believe that? Good. There's one. Awesome. What about the rest of you? Ruth lives this out. Because she doesn't know what her future holds. She's learning to walk in faith. And here's what you're going to see from the life of Ruth. Ruth is an example of a follower. Someone who's experienced the redemption. She's faithfully obeying God in today. And she's trusting Him to lead her in the unknowns of tomorrow. Beautiful practical application for you and me this morning. I'm going to show you four things we see from the life of Ruth very quickly. All right. What does it look like that she's trusting God today and going to trust God for her future? Because I know many of you are here, especially our students and college students who are wrestling with their future. What does the future hold? Okay. What does it look like to trust God today and trust Him for the unknowns of tomorrow. Ruth is a picture of that. I'm going to show you four things. Number one is this. <laughs> Ruth is submissive to authority instead of being self-willed. God, I don't know what my future holds. Will you lead me? And let me tell you the response from your Father in heaven. All authority is given by God to provide protection and guidance for us. Ruth in chapter 2 says this. And Ruth the Moabitess says to Naomi, her mother-in-law, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears. What does that mean? Ruth is practicing from the very beginning here great submission and honor and respect to her mother-in-law, Naomi. This is huge for you and me. How can I trust God for the unknowns of tomorrow? Watch this. You can walk in honor and submission to the authorities God's placed in your life today. That's Ruth. Now, this is one of those places that this is so important for me. I'm thinking like a dad. I'm thinking like a pastor. I'm thinking about even some people in my, in my life right now who are wrestling with their future. Listen to this. I want to say this to all of us. 
It is absolute hypocrisy for us to say, God, lead me. God, show me the future. God, I'm trusting you. And yet today, to live in disrespect of your parents, your boss, your church leadership, or authority God has placed in your life. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way for some of our young people who are in this church that God has your hand on and wants to be used to touch the world and wants to be used to send out to be sent out and reach the nations for Jesus Christ and and we want that and we pray that for you but it does not work to say God send me and reach the nations and then go home and not honor mom and dad doesn't work that way and oh by the way you are welcome for that parents My favorite restaurant is Longhorn Steakhouse, and I love gift cards, okay? That'd be great. And by the way, parents, let me say this to you. It is hypocrisy for you to say, I want my children to learn submission to authority, and all they ever hear from you is bad-mouthing or back-talking your boss, questioning your church leadership, or mocking the authority in your life. Because let me tell you something, they'll learn to honor authority by watching you. So here's, here's this girl, Ruth, and what you see in her life is this submission to authority. I'll just tell you, I, I'm going to try to, there's so much we could say here. When my wife and I were dating, and obviously she wasn't my wife yet, but when Jennifer and I were dating, one of the things that attracted me to my wife from the instant I met her early on was, yes, she's beautiful, and yes, she has so much to offer and all that. One of the things that I fell in love with <laughs> It's different because he's sitting there is because she showed great honor to that man sitting beside her, her dad. And you know why it's important, young men? It's because the way your future spouse treats her dad is the way she's going to treat you. Authority in our lives is a gift from God. So young men, you want to learn something about that girl that you're falling in love with. Or young girls, you want to learn something about that young man that you're falling in love with. You go home with them and you watch how they treat mom and dad. And it might be something that you fall dearly in love with. Or you might say, well, done with this. Moving on. (laughs) Ruth is submissive instead of self-willed. Secondly, very quickly, Ruth is a servant instead of a consumer verse 3 says so she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers now we don't understand that and we read right over that let me tell you what that means verse 7 says she came and remained from morning until now meaning she got up at daylight she went and worked in the field until evening that means the stalks of grain that were left around the edges this young girl picked up those stalks she bundled them she she put them over her shoulder she carried them and put them on the wagon or mule or whatever they had that day I don't know and she did that from morning until night here's what that means that girl worked hard and she was a servant because somebody in the house had to make the living she said to Naomi her mother-in-law let me go glean in the field let me go serve and provide for our family it says something about this young girl who's trusting what's this she doesn't know what her future holds but in the now she's submissive to authority and she's walking in servanthood and rather than just being a consumer 
Scripturally, the great women of the Old Testament are rarely noted for their outward beauty. You follow Rachel, who ultimately married Jacob. She was a shepherdess. She worked hard. Rebecca, in your Old Testament in Genesis, who married Isaac. If you remember that story, the servant went out and said, listen, uh, the father said, you go find a wife for my son Isaac. And said, here's what's going to happen. Find a woman who will feed your camels and water your camels. Right? That's what we're all looking for. Right, guys? Because in that day to feed 30 camels was a lot of hard work. And the point was, no, you go find a woman who's a servant. That's the kind of wife I want for my son. Here's one for you. You ready? Gift cards. Remember? I like gift cards. Young men, you want to find out something about that girl, you go home and you sit at table with her parents. And if she gets up from that table and leaves her plate and expects somebody else to do it for her, you can say, this is not the girl I want to marry. You don't want to marry a consumer. You want to marry a servant. Ruth is a servant. She's a picture of the church because that is to be us in response to our Redeemer who has redeemed us. We submit to authority as unto Him. We serve others not just to consume as unto Him. It's a picture of the bride of Christ, us. Thirdly, quickly, Ruth is grateful Instead of entitled. Verse 10 says, then she fell on her face. I mean, I I can't even begin to communicate the passion that is in verse 10. Because Ruth, a Moabitess, Ruth, a cursed woman, Ruth, a foreigner, Ruth, who did not belong in the nation of Israel, Ruth, who certainly didn't belong in the field of Boaz, is now welcomed in by Boaz. And her response is not claiming her rights, I assure you, because she knew she didn't have any. Her response is falling down on her face in deep gratitude. And by the way, that's a picture of every single one of us who understand the undeserved grace of God. All of us. It's the bride of Christ. So she fell down in great gratitude before Boaz. Question, when it comes to our daily life, are we consistently grateful for the undeserved grace? Or are we regularly murmuring out of a sense of entitlement because we didn't get something we think we deserve? The believer in Christ is to be a model of gratitude because we realize we have no rights. We don't belong in the kingdom of heaven. Anything beyond the fires of hell is more than we deserve. And that overflows in great gratitude. And you see that in the life of Ruth, fourthly and finally. Ruth's character was excellent instead of common. Chapter 3, verse 11. You don't have to turn there. We'll get there in a few weeks. It says, Naomi speaking to Ruth says, Now my daughter, do not fear. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. In a very short time, Ruth had developed a reputation of being a woman of excellence. The word excellence means moral strength, virtue, character, courage. It means skill, ability. And incidentally, it's the same word that's used to describe Boaz back in chapter 2 verse 1. Here's what that means for you and me. A life of excellence, a life of character is continuing to grow in likeness of the one who has redeemed us. 
Our character is growing and being molded by the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has redeemed us. That's what you see in Ruth. And she was known for her character of purity. She was known for these things in the city. And you see, what's this? In Ruth, the picture of the redeemed. Us. The bride of Christ. So she trusts God for the unknown future by walking in submission to authority today. She trusted God for her unknown future by walking as a servant. She trusted God by living in great gratitude. She trusted God by pursuing excellent character and Christ's likeness in a sense. And how did God work all of that out? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And He will direct your paths. Really? Really? Watch this. Ruth chapter 2. She's walking as a servant, walking in submission. Verse 3. So she departed Ruth and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened. There are no just happenings in Scripture. There is a sovereign God who opens doors and closes doors and leads people into your life and people out of your life. God supernaturally leads Ruth exactly where He wanted Ruth to be. She didn't know what her future was. It was dark and uncertain, but she trusted this God that she was following for the day. And verse 3 says, It just so happened she welled up right in the field of Boaz. Her kinsman redeemer that God had planned from the very beginning. Verse 8 or verse 5, Boaz says, who is this woman in the field? Boaz takes notice of her. Verse 7 and 8, Boaz says, but stay here with my maids and I'm going to take care of you. The rest of that chapter, Boaz extends great kindness to her. Her needs are met. He, she is cared for and she has no idea all the future God has through this. And you know what Ruth did? She trusted God today. And God directed her paths in the future for his glory and her good. Isn't that great? You see that in the life of Ruth. Now, I'm going to wrap up with this. This will be very quick. Our time is almost up. And we're going to celebrate the Lord's table, the Lord's supper together this morning. Secondly, you see a portrait of our Redeemer. See a picture of the church, a picture of the redeemed in the life of Ruth. But you see a portrait of our Redeemer. Boaz, his name means in him is strength. Boaz is introduced as a man of great valor. He's a Jewish, rich, wealthy man of great influence. He's a landowner. He's Jewish. He has infinite resources, so to speak. Boaz is introduced that way in chapter 2, verse 1. And I want to show you three things very quickly. And these are going to be quick about Boaz that points ultimately to the greater Boaz that is King Jesus. Watch this. Number one, Boaz walks humbly among his servants. Verse 4, that's why I mentioned this to you earlier. It says, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, those who were working in his fields, May the Lord bless you and be with you. And they said to him, may the Lord bless you. In other words, if you're a Jew and you read that, like I said earlier, that doesn't happen. 
Those who are people of influence do not mingle with those who are the workers in the field. Unless you're Boaz, unless you're a picture of the Jesus Christ who is coming. And because the Bible teaches us as we celebrate Advent and we celebrate the coming of Jesus, it is God who has come to dwell with us. Matthew chapter 1 says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child. She shall bear a son. They will call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Literally mean this Jewish Savior stepped out of heaven, took on flesh, and walks among us. There is no greater picture of one humbling himself to serve others than God becoming a man. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas at Advent. And there's a picture of it all the way back in Ruth and Boaz in the book of Ruth. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Secondly, you see Boaz, Boaz sees the harvest field differently. What? What? I don't even get that. What are you talking about? Remember chapter 1 ends and it says, Oh, by the way, Ruth and Naomi show up at the time of barley harvest. So if you can get this mental picture in your mind, some bells are going to start to go off about the rest of your Bible. You see this Gentile, non-Jew, beginning to walk into Bethlehem and she literally has to walk through fields, watch this, that were white for harvest. And it's to be a picture of one who would come later. And even John chapter 4 pictures it when Jesus was at the well with the Samaritan woman. Remember that? And they have this long dialogue. And this, this unbelieving non-Jewish woman places faith in Jesus the Messiah. And the disciples come to Jesus in John 4 and they say, what are you doing? Number one, you're talking to a woman. You didn't do that in that day. And number two, you're talking to a Samaritan. She's not even Jewish. What are you doing? And Jesus says to them, do you remember? He says, and I'll quote John 4, 35. Do not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white for harvest. An allusion back to Ruth that here comes this Gentile walking through the harvest field. And Boaz doesn't just see a foreigner. Boaz sees one to be redeemed. And he sees the first fruits of the harvest of the nations and points to a redeemer that's going to come one day. And not just redeem Jews, but redeem all nations of the earth. Isn't that awesome? See that picture of this Redeemer buried all the way back in the book of Ruth. And thirdly, and we'll be finished and then celebrate the Lord's Supper. <laughs> Boaz, whose name means in him is strength, overflows with just immeasurable grace. I'm only going to focus on verse 14 and then we're going to finish. But look at verse 14. It says this, at mealtime. Mealtime is a big deal in this culture. At mealtime, all the reapers are coming to the table. And Boaz is bringing his servants together. At mealtime, Boaz says to Ruth, Moabite, Gentile, non-Jew, come closer. Come here. 
Come to my table, that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. And you're going, wow, what in the world does that mean? That means nothing to me. In that day, mealtimes were huge. And in that day, there would be a host of the meal. And the host of the meal would break off a piece of bread. And he would dip it in the vinegar. And he would extend it as a show of great affection to a particular person who was a guest. Of all the people at the table, Boaz says to the Gentile. The non-Jew, the hopeless one, come and dip your bread. In other words, I have set my affection on you. Come to my table. Now watch this. Of all the people sitting at that table, Ruth absolutely knew she didn't belong there. She didn't belong there. And that's not it. That's not all. Keeps on going. Middle of verse 14. So she sat beside the reapers. The reapers were all Jews. Ruth is a Gentile. Gentiles and Jews, they don't sit at the same table. Doesn't work that way. But Boaz, the Redeemer, invites the Gentiles and the Jews to sit alongside each other at his table. Any bells going off yet? And it's not even over. Watch. And you know what Boaz the Redeemer does? And he served her. I'm just telling you. You sit with a Jewish friend and you read this. The Jewish friend is going to go, no way, this doesn't happen. Rich, aristocratic landowners, men of influence, they sure don't sit at a table with a Gentile. They don't even sit at the table with their servants, much less serve them. That is a picture of King Jesus who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And he served her roasted grain, and she ate and was satisfied. She was satisfied and had some left. Listen, this table, all the way back in the book of Ruth, is to picture another table that we, by Christ, in faith, are going to set at someday. Jews and Gentiles around the marriage supper of the Lamb and our Redeemer at the head of the table and He's going to be serving us. His his hands are going to be pierced. His side is going to bear the marks because He is the ultimate Redeemer. And He is not just redeeming Jews. He's not just redeeming Gentiles. He is the God of the nations who has come. And He stepped out of heaven. He was born. He died. He rose again. And He's coming again. And He will draw all of His children together. And we will sit around the marriage supper of the Lamb one day and celebrate the greatness of our God, King Jesus. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Would you bow your head with me for just a moment? One of our elders, David Brewer, is going to come down. He's going to walk us through the Lord's Supper as a picture of our crucified King, King Jesus.